Welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast from core to ed Independent Medical Education. The podcast series focuses on severe PPH. In this second episode, you will hear from internationally renowned experts, Professor Andra James and Dr. Maria Elisa Mancuso, discussing the various treatment options for severe PPH and sharing their learnings from clinical practice. This podcast is an initiative of core to ed and developed by Obstetrics and Gynecology Connect, a group of international experts working in the field of obstetrics and gynecology. The podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Novo Nordisk. The views expressed are the personal opinions of the experts. They do not necessarily represent the views of the experts' organizations or the rest of the Obstetrics and Gynecology Connect group. For experts' disclosures on any conflict of interest, please visit the core to ed website. I'm Dr. Andrea James. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist and specialist in maternal fetal medicine. I've spent my career uh, caring for women uh, with blood disorders and managed many postpartum hemorrhages. I am delighted to be here with my colleague, Dr. Maria Lisa Mancuso. Thank you, Andra. It's my pleasure to be here with you today to discuss this important uh, topic. I'm an hematologist by education and uh, I am a senior hematology consultant at uh, IRCCS Humanitas Research Hospital in Milan, Italy. I usually take care of patients with congenital bleeding disorder of any type. However, I'm in charge with uh, also acquired bleeding disorder as this can happen in any part, let's say, of the of the clinic. I mean, in any hospital, surgical patients and obstetrical patients, gynecological patients may have some problem with hemostasis. And that's where as an expert in benign hematology, not oncology hematology, I jump in uh, as a consultant sometimes. So very happy to be here with you to discuss this interesting topic. Thank you. Postpartum hemorrhage is the leading cause of maternal mortality, and maternal mortality is the leading cause of death in childbearing age women worldwide. This is an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Postpartum hemorrhage is so devastating to families when it occurs. I've been witness to Postpartum hemorrhage, where women didn't survive, it's profound, it's traumatic, it's heartbreaking. But over the years, I've seen us make headway in our ability to manage postpartum hemorrhage, and we have made headway in those cases that devolve into coagulopathy, which is the final common pathway to mortality. And we've done it with the help of our experts in hemostasis and our hematologists. Yeah, I do agree. I mean, postpartum hemorrhage is really a critical problem in in medicine for women who experience. I have to say from my standpoint as an hematologist that this is important to raise awareness about this because this is not only a gynecological problem. So we should be aware that sometimes we can rescue and solve the problem putting together our knowledge. So it's important to address this topic from our two standpoints, 
because our collaboration is key in some women to really address the, this problem and to solve completely the problem that, as you told us, can be something that can lead to high mortality. So maybe I can ask you as an expert, which are the, the frontline aspects of severe postpartum hemorrhage? So what are the causes and how you assess the risk of a woman in this area? But first, maybe uh, can you give us a definition of what is for you a severe postpartum hemorrhage? Well, the definition of severe postpartum hemorrhage is variably defined. The most inclusive definition is any postpartum hemorrhage of a thousand milliliters or more, but we encounter that not uncommonly. Other definitions have been more strict and have used a blood loss of 2,500 milliliters. Other definitions have used the necessity for surgical interventions. Other definitions have used the requirement for blood transfusions, and others have included the need for intensive care. But a very good definition is the need for blood product replacement. And I'll sort of keep that in mind. In terms of the causes, more than 80% of the time, the causes are obstetrical, meaning they derive from the uterus. Either the uterus is failing to contract, which is most often the case, or there are retained products of conception in the uterus. About 20% of the time, the reasons are surgical, either lacerations or incisions or a ruptured viscous, and rarely is the underlying reason due to a defect in coagulation. But if the hemorrhage proceeds long enough, invariably, we will see defects in coagulation, which will complicate our ability to manage it. Can you envision women which are maybe at higher risk than others to incur in the PPH? So we assume and must assume all women are at risk because some of the worst hemorrhages occur in women who have no ostensible risk factors. But things like women who have an enlarged uterus because of twins, women who have an abnormal placentation, either placenta previa or some form of the placental accreta spectrum, obviously they're at increased risk. Women who may have a pre-existing bleeding disorder, Women who have a history of postpartum hemorrhage, they're all examples of women who are at greater risk than the average woman. Considering what you just mentioned, do you have a user-friendly tool to assess the risk that you can use in the clinic? There are various checklists or protocols that have been published, and we have one at our institution, Duke University, that has been adapted and it has also been stratified by severity of hemorrhage and it meshes with our massive transfusion protocol for obstetrics. But I think that you've raised an important point and that is that having a standardized approach to postpartum hemorrhage is essential for a good outcome. I see. Thank you very much. This has been very helpful. Now, there are situations where 
hematologic expertise is required. We've exhausted all of our usual interventions. And like I said, postpartum hemorrhage can arise in unexpected circumstances. And also half of all pregnancies become high risk at the time of delivery. Are there situations where you've been called at the time of delivery or needed to assist your colleagues in the delivery suite with a complicated patient? Yes, indeed. I mean, uh, sometimes I think that we are involved less than what is really needed because sometimes uh, we are just called when everything has been uh, done Vast majority of cases when we are called or personally I've been called or involved in the management of such uh, women is when the colleagues uh, do not envision any obstetrical causes. I mean, they cannot explain under their point of view the PPH or also when uh, somehow there is complete unresponsiveness to the obstetrical protocols that they already put in place to solve the problem. So in that case, they start thinking about maybe an hematological cause, especially involving hemostasis, so that impaired hemostasis may have a major role in severe PPH. But in my opinion, sometimes we are called a little bit late. So we always claim for being involved a little bit earlier in the process. So I just ask you, when do you decide that you need an hematologist on board? So at what point you reach out the hematologist or at least who makes the decision to involve the hematologist in the process? Well, I have to agree with you that we probably call the hematologist or the blood banker perhaps too late. But in fact, over the course of my career, I can see though that we have developed an increasing awareness that there may be a hematologic reason for the hemorrhage or certainly contributing to the hemorrhage and that it is not all obstetrical or surgical. Ideally, the obstetrical personnel recognize uh, when a hemorrhage is not responding to conventional obstetrical and surgical interventions and additional help is needed. The midwife will call the obstetrician. The obstetrician will call the anesthesiologist if he or she has not been called already. The services of the blood bank and potentially the blood banker or transfusion medicine physician may be required and may be called. And the hematologist is not usually called when a postpartum hemorrhage is diagnosed, but may be called when the situation becomes relatively worse such as a massive hemorrhage that becomes coagulopathic and is not responding to tranexamic acid, massive transfusion protocol, plasma cryoprecipitate, fibrinogen concentrate, etc. And we may need the insight of the hematologist. Furthermore, I think the hematologist is very helpful in helping us plan for the future by helping us establish protocols that employ hematological insights. Yeah, you know, maybe there is also something that we can add because sometimes maybe we don't have the solution just at first sight, but for sure knowing well the hemostasis or being a little bit more involved in the process of hemostasis, we can maybe have an idea on underlying diseases that can be 
related to that specific case of PPH. And I'm not just mentioning congenital bleeding disorder because usually in congenital bleeding disorders, maybe we should have a plan before delivery. However, there are some conditions where maybe knowing well and having a deep insight in hemostasis, we can even suspect that that pathway in coagulation is involved more than another one. I mean, like primary hemostasis more than a secondary hemostasis. And our intervention may help in impinging upon, you know, the process and maybe stopping the process at a certain point. So I think that the role of hematologists is to implement and maybe also uh, improve the protocols that I think they are pretty much good because sometimes what we do together with the gynecologist is already pretty much standard. But at some point, we can introduce some variants based on what we see in the woman and maybe suspect that a pathway rather than another is affected in that specific case. But if I may ask about your direct experience, so your experience in collaboration with dermatologists in specific cases in PPH. So do you think that we can somehow uh, impinge upon a specific step uh, when you have a severe PPH uh, case? Maybe you can share with us your experience in that. Yes, I think if there's one lesson we've learned from our hematological colleagues, it's that we need to consider the introduction of hemostatic treatments much earlier, such as tranexamic acid, factor replacement, recombinant factor seven. We need to consider that introduction much sooner than we have in the past or had in the past. So uh, one case that comes to mind, it's been a while ago, but the help of the hematologist was absolutely essential. We had a patient who had no history of any underlying bleeding disorder. She was 32 weeks gestation. She had a known placenta previa. She ingested cocaine and came into the hospital with signs of placental abruption. She was bleeding. She was taken emergently to uh, the operating room where she underwent a cesarean delivery. And as she began to bleed under uncontrollably, she failed conventional surgical therapy, including hysterectomy, and then failed conventional hemostatic therapy, including factor replacement with plasma and cryoprecipitate. And we brought in one of our hematology colleagues and we gave the patient recombinant factor seven with remarkable success in her case. But I think that it was the combined insights of our hematology colleague and the team that had been caring for her that made the difference. Uh, you know, this is very interesting because recombinant 7A has been used as, let's say, a universal hemostatic agent. But indeed, if we, if we think about what you just mentioned in that case, there are some parts of hemostasis which are not just factor deficiency. In this case, you know, you mentioned the use of cocaine and you had a sort of DIC in this patient. So, you know, sometimes also endothelial activation, endothelial damage, it's something that also is included in the process. 
and the thrombin burst that you may give on the other side with the combinant 7A, it's something that counterbalance the consumption that you may have in some cases without having necessarily an underlying deficiency, specific deficiency of a factor. I mean, I mean, this patient may have consumption of all factors and not just replacing factor seven you can rescue. But the point is that with factor seven, you can really enhance the coagulation pathway at large by increasing the thrombin generation. And maybe this was the, the winning card precisely in this case. Just to mention, maybe in some cases we don't think about, we just use plasma cryo or some clocked in factor concentrate, but we also should take into account that there are some acquired platelet function defects that may increase the blood amount that is uh, lost by those patients. So also platelet disorders should be taken into account. They are not only congenital, they can be acquired for many reasons. So maybe, you know, thinking all together from both perspectives may be really of help for patients and women with uh, PPH. And what about women with underlying congenital breathing disorder? Do you have some specific case that you want to share with me? Almost always. We plan for the delivery with our hematology colleagues and our anesthesia colleagues, and we have a plan in place to manage the bleeding risks, uh, provide prophylaxis if necessary at the time of delivery. But there was a challenging patient who came in a number of years ago who had been diagnosed with von Willebrand disease at another institution. She had not sought regular prenatal care for socioeconomic reasons. She showed up at our institution for delivery and had a postpartum hemorrhage that was very difficult to manage. She was ultimately successfully managed. And as it turns out, she was later confirmed to have type 3 von Willebrand disease, which had not been elucidated before she presented for delivery of her child and had this massive postpartum hemorrhage. So we certainly needed the expertise of our hematology team to help sort out what was going on with this patient, how to stabilize her and manage her in the future. I see. This is interesting. I mean, usually... Women with congenital bleeding disorders should really have a plan well before arriving at the delivery date. But I mean, uh, your experience tells us that it's possible that diagnosis is made at the time of delivery. So in this case, I think our collaboration is really valuable for uh, the patient. Anyhow, of course, if the diagnosis is already there, we cannot exclude that the woman will experience PPH, but on the other side, knowing well which is the diagnosis, we could be, let's say, more ready to provide the best hemostatic treatment in, in that case. So again, to underline that we should speak and maybe plan together also the approach to those women. We appreciate that so much. We rely on our hematology colleagues to help us plan for those deliveries. But we also 
rely on our hematology colleagues to help us manage that complex coagulopathy that can sometimes complicate postpartum hemorrhage, help us manage patients with underlying bleeding disorders, and investigate underlying bleeding disorders in patients who have experienced postpartum hemorrhage, but also help us put in place protocols that are helpful in the management of future patients. Dr. Mancuso, do you have any key takeaways and would maybe like to add any final words? You know, I would say that just claiming for us an hematologist that our collaboration should be always taken into account and maybe we should be called on board, let's say, earlier sometimes because sometimes we need also to investigate what's going on and not just to prescribe rescue treatment. So don't call us just to have another drug to be administered to the woman but maybe we can uh, investigate what's going on to choose and to pick up the best approach for that specific woman. The other point for me is that in the presence of underlying bleeding disorder, it's important not only to diagnose, not only to have a plan, but also to follow up those women. Because sometimes the bleeding disorder that we diagnose even before or during delivery may give problems also in the postpartum period. So our collaboration should start before, uh, should continue during, but also persist in the, during the follow-up of those women. And what about your takeaways? Well, I would like to underscore everything you just said. And for me, it's a chance to remember that postpartum hemorrhage is not always going to respond to the interventions of the obstetrician. The hematologist has a key role, not only in the management of those cases of complex coagulopathy, but also the management of patients with underlying bleeding disorders and in the investigation of underlying bleeding disorders in patients who have experienced postpartum hemorrhage. And then again, and the development of protocols for the hemostatic treatment of postpartum hemorrhage in the future. Well, I can't thank you enough for being willing to see these patients and help us take care of them. It's essential for their survival. And can't thank you enough. And thank you for participating in this podcast with me. I've so enjoyed it. Thank you so much. This was really a pleasure. Thank you for our audience. We are grateful for our listeners. And thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the second episode in this podcast series on treatment of severe PPH. Look out for more episodes in the series on the core to add Medical Education channel, including definitions and real-world incidents of PPH, controversies in the treatment of severe PPH, and new developments in the treatment of severe PPH. Don't forget to rate this episode on the Courtuate website and share our podcast on social media or with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and see you next time.